Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Udang dhammang sangang namasami. So good to see you all here today. I always say that and it feels so true. It's always a treat to see you. So tonight I would like to talk a little bit about the Grinch. And uh, I'll tell you, maybe some of you, maybe all of you already know the story, but I'll tell you a little bit about the story and then we'll see if we, I am uh, gonna weave it in with some other teachings. I gave a talk last night in Spanish and I'm gonna do it a little differently tonight, so bear with me as we ramble along. But, uh, so the story of the Grinch, uh, the, Grinch, the Grinch who stole Christmas, who supposedly stole Christmas, right? So the Grinch is uh, a story by Dr. Seuss, this author who wrote these many uh, wonderful children's books. And the Grinch is this green, hairy creature who is very mean to his dog. And his heart is very cold and frozen. And he's, he's quite the uh, nasty, nasty one. And he decides that he uh, is gonna take out his resentment on the folks in the village near him who are called the Who's. They're called the Who's, the little folks in the village near him. And he's gonna uh, take away their joy. And the way that he's gonna take away their joy is on their most joyous day of the year, which is Christmas. He's gonna go and steal their Christmas. And so he goes down to the village on Christmas Eve and scoops up all the trees and the decorations and the presents together with his dog in the sleigh, pretending to be Santa. But instead of leaving presents, he's taking presents. And the response by the Who's, as most of you will know, the response of the Who's is that they wake up on Christmas morning and they see that the gifts and the decorations are gone. But nonetheless, they get together and they start singing and they find their joy in gathering together and singing anyway. And it, it's said that, uh, that the Grinch's heart melts at that point. And I'll talk a little bit more about the Grinch's heart melting in a moment. But I want to say 
This came up in part because of something quite serious. So I don't want to make light of what's happened. Um, this group, Montaña Despierta, which is in Jalapa, Mexico, um, close to Puerto Veracruz in Mexico, um, was broken into and they had some things stolen from their place, uh, including some Buddhas and some photos and things that were you know, precious to those people there, precious objects that represented their practice, their spirituality. And so they're, and, and, you know, they are finding their response to this. And for this reason, the story of the, the Grinch and the Who's from Whoville came up for me. Because the Who's knew that just by taking their Christmas presents, you couldn't take away their joy. You couldn't take away their sense of community or their sense of celebration or their sense of whatever the Christmas expression meant to them, right? Their culture, their religion, their whatever many things that it might've meant to them. And while the Grinch is a pretty contemporary way of thinking about that kind of response, I think that if we look at the history of humanity, we see that this has happened over and over again. The temples and mosques and meditation centers and monasteries have not always been treated kindly. Hmm. Have sometimes been attacked. I was reading recently in the paper that, for example, in the United States right now, there was some study that said there's been a 40% increase in attacks on Jews and Jewish places of worship. Or historically, when we just look at it, century after century after century and tradition after tradition after tradition. It's very, very common. Years ago, when I was in, in Barobador, I went uh, out to the Women's Buddhist Conference, the Shakyadita Conference, probably about seven years ago now. And um, it was in Yogyakarta in Indonesia. And after the conference, as usually happens, we went to go visit some Buddhist uh, temples and other sites. And one of the sites we went to visit was Borobudur. And maybe you all are, some of you are familiar with it. It's, it's this huge, beautiful uh, construction, kind of like a pyramid. 13 levels, I think it's 13 levels of carved stone. 
starting with the Buddha's past lives, the Shakyamuni Buddha's lives before he was born into this lifetime, into human being, this last lifetime, and then the stories of his life, and then the stories of his awakening, and finally at the top, a whole gathering of Buddhas, actually. And then at the very top, a sort of stupa. And so at the gathering of Buddha's level, there are these stupas with little diamond-shaped holes in them so that you can see that there's a Buddha meditating inside. But at the top, top stupa, it's, it's enclosed. Sort of the mystery at the very top. But what's noticeable, and there are hundreds of Buddhas there on Borobudur, Maybe I think they said like 300 and something. Don't quote me on that, but there are many. And one of the things that's noticeable is that many of them are missing their heads. They're missing their heads because at some time, centuries after that was constructed, many years after that was constructed, uh, there was this understanding that arose within the Muslim community that it was good luck to have the head of a Buddha underneath your house. And so when they would build a new house, they would go out to Barobator and chop off the head of a Buddha to bury it underneath their house. And eventually they started putting guards at Barovador, so that people wouldn't damage it any longer. But so this kind of activity of not respecting or not understanding one another's spiritual lives uh, has been going on for quite a long time. Quite a long time. And so if we look at what the Buddhist teachings are about this, something along the lines of how the Who's responded to the Grinch. And so I want to bring forth a sutra, one of the Mahayana sutras, and read you a little bit of uh, chapter 20 of the Lotus Sutra. Because this was how the Grinch connection came up for me, was, was uh, thinking about the Buddhist teaching about this, about what to do when one's uh, practice isn't appreciated by other beings, or worse. And so I just want to say, I'm reading from the Burton Watson translation of the Lotus Sutra. So Lotus Sutras, uh, as I just mentioned, it's a Mahayana Sutta Sutra, and um, and the other translation that I have here, which I may use, is, is uh, the Leon Hurwitz. Hurwitz. So, in my experience, the Hurwitz is a little more literal, and that can be helpful sometimes if you're trying to suss out the early meaning. But I think the Watson is the one that's probably most, most uh, used, most accessible, most readable. So I'm going to read to you a little bit from the Watson. So again, this is chapter 20. 
And with the Mahayana Sutras, I wanted to emphasize that I think we need to look at them from the standpoint of what is the practice model that's being offered? What's the practice role model that's being held up? It's an important aspect of how I to relate to Mayana Sutras. So here we go. At that time, the world honored one, meaning the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, although again, this was, as we understand it, not part of the earlier texts. This came a little bit later. Wishing to state his meaning once more spoke in verse form. So I'm skipping past the early part of the chapter and just reading you the verse, which is usually capturing sort of restating the chapter in brief. In the past, there was a Buddha named Awesome Sound King. What a great title, Awesome Sound King. <laughs> of immeasurable supernatural powers and wisdom leading and guiding one and all. And I really enjoyed this about the Mahayana Sutras, that there's this recognition, as there is in the Theravada, but in a different way, there's a recognition of many Buddhas and many forms of expression, enlightened expression. Heavenly and human beings, dragons, spirits, joined in to offer him, him alms. After this Buddha had entered extinction, so, Mahaparinibbana, that's how we would refer to that, when Buddhas enter their final extinction. When his law, his, his shasana, sasana, his uh, period of dhamma was about to expire, there was a bodhisattva named Never Disparaging. The four kinds of believers at that time scrutinized and adhered to the law of awesome sound king. And the Buddha, the Bodhisattva rather, never disparaging, would go to them where they were and speak to them saying, I would never disparage you for you are practicing the way and all of you will become Buddhas. When the people heard this, prediction, I add, they jibed at him, cursed and reviled him. But the Bodhisattva never disparaging, never disparaging bore all this with patience. And so it says in the chapter that they said, who is this guy making these predictions about us? And literally, like, threw stones and sticks at him, in addition to cursing him. And so what would the Bodhisattva, of, uh, the Bodhisattva never disparaging do? Well, it says that he would, um, wait, let's see if I get the exact quote here. But even as he ran away and took up his stance at a distance, he continued to call out in a loud voice. I would never dare disparage you, for you are all certain to attain Buddhahood.
And as the story goes, then he kept this up for quite a long time. And eventually people started to appreciate his sincerity. Whether or not they believed him wasn't so much an issue anymore. They just appreciated his sincerity. And they started to listen to him. So now in this story, we're talking about practitioners talking to practitioners, right? We're talking about disagreements within the, the community, actually, within the Sangha in the, in the greater sense that we use that word, in the more contemporary sense that we use that word. But nonetheless, I think, what a beautiful role model, this Bodhisattva never disparaging. Hmm? Because he's demonstrating several things, right? He's demonstrating self-care. Right? He doesn't stand there and allow himself to be pelted with stones and sticks and curses. He moves away from that. He establishes his boundary. But he uses the pivotal word, patience and is able to continue his practice of compassion toward these beings who don't get him. Mm -hmm. So you could get into various doctrinal issues about whether they're actually gonna become Buddhas and predictions and so on. But I don't think that any of that is relevant actually. I think that it's really about that about patient persistence. Patient persistence in being the voice of compassion, in being the voice that lifts people up, that helps people to have confidence in their own ability to find their wisdom and compassion. That's the role model that the Bodhisattva never disparaging is giving us. And in fact, interestingly, just to tie another little thread in here, because why not? Tomorrow is Sangha Day. Tomorrow in uh, many Theravadan countries, it's called Magga Puja which is usually translated as Sangha day, the day in which uh, the, it's a day that celebrates a particular gathering, said to be a gathering of many, many, spontaneous gathering of many enlightened beings. And the Buddha gave one of his most memorable talks to these beings. And the first thing he says is, Patience is the greatest austerity. Patience is the greatest austerity, which is an interesting thing to say to beings who are ostensibly have completed the path or are, are incredibly far along on the path. Huh? Patience is the greatest austerity. Why is it an austerity? Why is it tough for us? be patient. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I would suggest there are many reasons for that, but one reason is because patience comes from our ability, our willingness to recognize that the state of the world is not ideal according to me. It's not ideal according to what would be preferable for this being. Right? Because if it's according to your preference, then you don't have to be patient. <laughs> You're getting what you want. But patience is necessary when you're not necessarily getting what you want or when the world is difficult or when the world doesn't get you. Hmm? Or you don't get the world. And so what does this have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with Sangha, with the community. So thankfully, Thankfully, we have these role models, and these role models are what? They're part of the greater community, just like the Who's. The Who's gathered together in their circle to sing their song. And so, on Sangha Day, I think that we appreciate being able to come together with folks who have a shared intention, a shared intention to see things as they truly are. And because of beginning to see things or wanting to see things as they truly are, also bringing a patience and a compassion to a world that isn't so clear or isn't always so kind. So we have this great gift, this great gift. Even though we will be in different places, we will be in different states of understanding, different states of mental and physical experience, right? That's also part of Sangha. That's also part of the Dhamma. That recognition that each one of us is having a unique individual experience. Even as we are in the midst of being that expression of what's universally happening, what's universally true. I remember um, I used to go for uh, these um, 
kind of energy rebalancing uh, with this very talented woman there in Placerville when I lived in California most recently. And um, she, she did her practice in this building that was different kinds of therapists and, and then her bodywork uh, there, dear Ming. And in the bathroom, there's a, there was this uh, very beautiful, um, simple uh, drawing with watercolor, which is why I drew my eye. And it's a, it's a picture of a, a kind of a knight and a dragon. And it says, it says, to be the real hero, what does it say? It says, oh, I see. Waking up each day and loving the world again is being a real hero. Waking up each day and loving the world again is being the real hero. So as usual, the practice sets a pretty high bar for us. I think that um, it's, not always, it's not always easy. It's not always necessarily even possible, but I think it's a beautiful ideal. I think that there is um, and in fact, I, I believe that if we look for it, there is support for us to do that. If we don't have to do it by ourselves. And again, that is the great beauty of the Sangha. So the other part of the teaching that the Buddha gave on Sangha day was cease to do evil, cultivate the good and clarify the mind. So this is in that second bucket. This is in that second bucket of doing our best to cultivate the good. The goodwill within our own hearts. The goodwill within our own hearts and minds. And to do that, even Again, even in the midst of situations where it's not going to be appreciated. So there's some letting go there. There's some letting go, and that's part of the patience as well, right? Some letting go of waiting to be um, seen as the hero or um, waiting to be understood or even cared for. Right. It's going to take some inner resources, some inner resources. I would suggest lots of Brahma Vihara practice. <laughs> That's my go-to. 
Lots of loving kindness and compassion and mudita, empathetic joy and equanimity. But also finding, you know, we talk about finding your tribe right now, finding your tribe within the Sangha, right? Because the Sangha also has an incredible, beautiful variety of expressions. And some of them might be difficult, but some of them actually might also be beautiful for you to touch into. I know that for me, I really, I, um, in the early years of my practice, I was practicing in a place where there wasn't a lot of community or there were, and they would kind of come together and then fall apart. It didn't seem like there was a lot of community, a lot of Sangha support. And when I finally did find Sangha support that felt really resonant, um, it made a lot of difference, it made a lot of difference in my, in my, uh, my commitment to the path and my willingness to hang in there for myself and for others. So I hope that you remember that tomorrow is Sangha Day, that you celebrate a little bit in your heart, whatever, whoever Sangha feels like to you, whatever, whoever inspires you to perhaps be able to take up the practice of the Bodhisattva never disparage and remember that we're all walking our journeys in life, all of us, some skillfully, some not so skillfully. And within our, our own lives, sometimes skillfully, sometimes not so skillfully. But being able to meet that again and again Meet that again and again. That's the true patience. That's the true patience that the practice asks us to have. To not give up, not give up on ourselves, not give up on other people. I'm almost at the end of my talk here, but I keep weaving in other bits. The other, the other um, example of this is um, in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the Buddha um, is on his deathbed and he says to Ananda, he says, give this monk the worst penalty. And I, I'm fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not remembering the name of the monk at this very moment. And Ananda says, Venerable Ananda says, well, what is the worst penalty? Bhante. And he says, the worst penalty is don't speak to him anymore. Stop talking to him. Stop advising him. The whole Sangha should stop advising him. And interestingly, what happens is later on in other suttas, what we find out is that they do that for a little while. And then he catches on that that's what's happening. And he says, no, please don't do that. Please tell me. I'll listen now. And he does. And they do tell him. And he does listen. And he does end up making great progress on the path.
So I wish you a joyful Sangha day. You can gather together with your who's, whoever your who's happen to be. I'll be online at eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> for meditation. <laughs> we could do a little <laughs> that, that just occurred to me <laughs> for Sangha day. But um, yes, I wish you all a beautiful Sangha day. And, and uh, may someone's or many people's practice be an inspiration to you and a support for your patience and your compassion and your progress on the path. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.